0: Europe's best football is back with the Euros. Avoid a Marcelo Bush in your midfield and clean up your midsection with Manscaped. Proud sponsors of the Managing Madrid podcast. Be a proper man this tournament and shave your balls with the brand new Lawnmower 4.0 and ultra smooth package. Join over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code Manscaped.com. Matt Who do you think did not manscape on their opening game?
1: Well, Keon, if Wales are going to make your semifinal prediction, then Gareth Bale is going to need a lot more than even the lawnmower 4.0 to to take this Wales team to the next level. If he's going to score some goals, then he needs the new crop top exfoliator as well as the razor. And he's going to have to get to work down there and uh, make sure that He's using all of the tools Manscaped has to offer, so that Wales and that team can somehow progress to the next round of this tournament.
0: So true. I will say, really impressed that David Alaba used all of his Mans- Manscaped products today. All the tools, everything in his in in the package that they sent him, including the Lawnmower 4.0 and everything else. Uh, Man of the match performance for Austria today, also an assist. Welcome to Real Madrid, David Alaba. Great job using Manscaped today, listeners. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code managingmadrid at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code managingmadrid. Hit the target and cheer up your D this Euro with Manscaped. Before we get underway here tonight, I wanted to have some words on the whole Ericsson thing that happened yesterday, which was gut-wrenching, it was heartbreaking, and it was devastating but ultimately celebratory because we... We know now that he's okay, and thank God, and thank you to everybody who was pitch side, all all his Danish teammates, the referee, and everyone involved in the medical department who make me feel extremely insignificant covering a silly game where there are real people saving real lives. And I just want to tip my hat off to everyone who helped Ericsson and just everyone in the medical field, really, because... Um, again, I, I really feel in these moments that my job and my title and everything is it's insignificant in the grand scheme of things and at any given moment um, you know it it really matters little what we're doing if you really think about it when you think about the fact that we're talking about 11 grown men kicking around a round sphere on a grass field it's super entertaining it is super important it's you know I understand that there are um, there are social, political things at play here. There is an importance of football in our lives. There is uh, a certain entertainment value, a distraction. There is a meaning to it. I don't dispute that sport is a beautiful thing. Um, But I I do just want to say there are definitely moments in my life where I felt like, wow, what I'm doing here is insignificant, you know, whether that be during everything that's happened during the pandemic and what we witnessed yesterday. I also just want to say I really feel like UEFA missed a great opportunity yesterday to to just shoulder some responsibility and ask everyone on the field that day to just go home, be with their family, be with their loved ones, visit Ericsson the hospital, or, or just be with their own families and then come back another day. Now that we know it's been confirmed that UEFA basically gave them two options, either play now or play tomorrow. And I really felt like the players felt pressured into playing that game there because they said, okay, well, we, if we have to play, let's just get it over with. And, you know, we're already here. The fans are already here. Let's not just, let's just do it now if they're not going to give us a choice to play or not to play, or at least postpone it a few days to, to kind of digest all this. And for everyone saying, well, the players agreed to it, well, now we know what the choices were. And the other side of this coin is that, like, you saw the, the condition they were in when they returned on the field yesterday. Like they were they were distraught. They were still crying in the warm-up. It just didn't sit right that they they decided to come back and that's what it looked like. And that's why we were all skeptical. Everyone on social media was skeptical that I saw. I was skeptical. I, I wasn't that boat myself. I was skeptical that this was a player's decision. Then there was that report that surfaced that Ericsson um told their told his teammates to just go and play. Look, I get that. I'm, we're all human here. I'm going to put myself in Ericsson's shoes, as horrifying as that was, and I will never really truly understand what it was like to be in his shoes. I'm not. That's not my goal here. But I'm just saying, if I'm in the hospital, I'm telling all my f- friends and family not to come because I just don't want them to worry. I get that Ericsson would do that. I just feel like we all had a collective responsibility here not to let Ericsson make that call, not to let any players make the call. They weren't qualified. They weren't fit to make those decisions. It it didn't sit well with me. I know it didn't sit well with a lot of people. I thought I think it's important to highlight the the weird thing about sport football. The earth really, the news cycle. It's so quick. Everything moves so fast that I just knew that by Sunday, which is today, we've already recorded this podcast. I'm just doing a quick quick uh, little um, quick thoughts on the whole Erikson situation. We already knew how, we already know how quickly things move in the news world. Like we just knew that by today, although we would be thinking about Ericsson and stuff, it's just going to, it's going to be swept under the rug now. And, and the way UEFA handled this, I I think they really missed an opportunity here to be exemplary, and just tell the players like, look, just take a break. This is not war. This is just a game in war. If, uh, if something happens to someone, you just have to move on to get it, to fight for your life. This is just a sport. And that wasn't just a leg injury. It's come out now from the danish doctor that he literally end quote he was gone they resuscitated him they brought him back this was a terrifying situation and i also just want to say for all the people who said well if erickson said that his teammates should play that they should play for him put yourself in the player's shoes and why they were coming back on the field and crying just think about that for a second if your brother dies medically they bring him back to life is in the hospital you talk to him on the phone your brother tells you um don't come visit me just go back to work you're gonna you're gonna tell your brother um thanks for the idea but i'm coming to visit you i love you that's bottom line i understand that erickson did that because he's human but again you don't accept that as an answer and i don't think the players did i don't think they had a choice so i just want to i just want to put it out there i think there are a lot of people here are in the camp like well the players said it's okay to play Ericsson said it's okay i don't think they're looking at the big picture here we have a collective responsibility to look at this in a holistic way and help each other make these decisions. And I don't think the people who were making the call were were fit to make those decisions. So I just want to put it out there. Um, a lot of this, I want to also just note that all that matters is that Erickson is okay, thank God. Um, that's really all that matters here. But I do think there are other things that we have to talk about, not least the fact that there is too much football. Crow said it best. Uh, last year where he said we're just puppets UEFA basically looks at us as pawns as little objects that make them money and you know why do we have to go to Saudi Arabia in the middle of a season to play Supercopa you know like this just because of money that's it it makes no sense from a sporting perspective from a health perspective this is all just a cash grab and um, I really hope that when we can pause and reflect on this and I just hope that we don't move on from this too quickly because I think we need to reflect on it so, that's just my my feeling. Uh I really didn't feel like watching any more football that day. Uh I can't imagine what the players were going through and um you know, today, you know, we watched the games today and we covered them all and that's you know, we just move on because Eriksson's okay and that's great, but I do think we can't use this as a missed opportunity. Like we really have to to talk about what just happened yesterday. It it's important. So, um yeah. We're gonna get into this podcast now, and uh, I really thought it was important to just just put my two cents out there because i I feel like we have a voice here on this on this podcast and a voice that needs to be heard. And I think we, you know, we've always taken the time to talk about social justice things on this podcast. We we always felt everyone on the everyone on the, all the hosts here, not just me. We always have felt that this is not just a podcast; this is more. And uh, we talk about everything from social justice issues to journalism. You know, we cover every sphere of reality that we can, the Loney's, the women's team, Castilla, everything. And, uh, you know, our scope goes beyond football. It's a family here, and I think it's important to talk about this stuff. So, um, yeah, hope you guys enjoy the upcoming podcast. And sorry to put anything, a damper mood on it. It's, it's, it's not meant to do that. And the podcast you're about to listen to is actually quite upbeat and a lot of fun. So let's get right into it. And we'll start with some Manscaped stuff. And then we'll transition to international coverage with the whole crew tonight. Myself and three others, Grant Little, Matt Wilsey and Christopher McCormack. Let's get into it.
2: Nice article in the Managing Madrid uh, blog. They're wonderful lads that do a great job there. And worth reading about that man there. Karim the Benzema.
0: Welcome to the Managing Madrid podcast. This is your host, Keon Subani. We are recording this Sunday night um, at around 7.15 Eastern time zone. And Christopher McCormick is also here all the way from Europe because he's covering Copa America for for us, which makes totally no sense at all because he's in Europe and he has to stay up late for these games. And we have people in the U.S. who are covering the Euro games and not the Copa America games. So joining me, it's a quartet tonight. We have christopher mccormick we have matt wilsey and we have grant little um i believe this is the first time this, these four have been together so whatever happens tonight the sample size is small let's uh, let's uh, let's hopefully we can get a longer sample size with this crew and i think we will because we're gonna be on regularly covering the international uh teams we have every single real madrid player being covered at managing madrid both in podcast and written form And we'll have pretty much everyone on at some point, at least once or twice, probably thrice this summer. So welcome, gentlemen. Um, We are fresh off the backs of Brazil, annihilating Venezuela 3-0. Chris, what did you think of that game?
2: Uh, Well, I missed the first half because as the reason I chose Cop America, I work nights at my day job. So it's, well... I came in at 10 o'clock today. <laughs> well, I was supposed to come in at 10, but we were very busy. So I was I came in about half 10 or so and caught the second half. Um, i got to say, I mean, generally games don't play out on Twitter, but um, I think a lot of the build-up to this match was about how Brazil, how much, like how little Venezuela have in terms of um, quality. They've had a COVID outbreak in their squad. They had about seven players. On the bench, which um, I think Brazil had about thirteen or fourteen players, uh, the starting eleven had like it was just some crazy stats. The starting eleven all, <laughs> all eleven of them have five goals combined, which for context, Thiago Silva has seven for Brazil. So I mean, it didn't make good reading. And I think when I sat down and watched the second half, it played out exactly as you'd expect it on paper. Brazil were just completely all over them. Venezuela didn't really, I think Venezuela very much went out with the outlook of keeping the score down, uh, which kind of, I suppose it's disappointing because Vinicius started on the bench. So you had Casemiro Militao for Real Madrid and Casemiro didn't really enjoy the sort of attacking freedom, his usual Beckenbauer Barrow. So he was very disciplined in defensive midfield. And Militao missed a, uh, an opportunity in the first half, but I didn't see that one, so I can't say too much about it. Um, yeah, I think the, the biggest Real Madrid contribution came from Danilo, who won the penalty for Neymar to put make it 2-0. And then outside of that, it was uh, pretty quiet from a Real Madrid front. So. Uh, I- I think we
1: have to call this out because you were talking about all those Venezuela players missing and I didn't know about the COVID outbreak. So it makes a little bit more sense. Now I I turned this game on late and there's one Venezuela player. I think he was playing center back. uh, He was somewhere in the back line who looked so out of shape. Like all of us on this call much fitter than he is. Like he looked like he just got done downing a couple of beers. Like I could not believe he was playing at the professional level, but Oh my god! It makes a little bit more sense now. Now that you explaining that there was a COVID outbreak yeah. and they're
3: just struggling to find guys. But, it, I mean, it might be a different uh, center back, but I think one of them had to get on the plane like a couple days ago because of the outbreak. So he could have been on the beach having a few beers before he hopped onto the plane. Probably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it. What struck me is that this is like. It wasn't even close and it wasn't necessarily that fun to watch. And the fact like anytime Neymar gets the ball, he's just devastating, generally speaking. He, and he he had some moments in this game where there's really just nothing you can do with him. There's just no stopping him. He just drops his shoulder, runs past three players. He rounds the goalkeeper, just does a bunch of crazy things. And he also, in a game like this, he's just so overconfident and there's no pressure on him because they're just destroying Venezuela that he does that thing where he just stops and dances. And it just he just doesn't pull it off. And the team, no one cares because it's just a demolition. And it actually looks really bad when he doesn't pull off, you know, that thing where he just stands there, and he just, just keeps kind of doing step overs, but he doesn't actually move, he just kind of keeps dropping his shoulder, you know, Vinicius tries to do that a few times. This, this season and it just has not has not worked at all and we've lost. It was funny actually. He positions.
2: did he did something like that. Went past three Venezuelan players and then missed the easy part. He put the ball into the side net instead of putting it into back net for three nil. Um But yeah, I suppose he was the run, <laughs> he was probably the runaway um, the kind of sole entertainment of the match outside of outside of that. It was pretty it was pretty straightforward for Brazil. I would like to think that next Friday will be more work staying up for. Um, because it's Peru. So that should be more fun. But this one was a bit, it was like I said, a procession. Not much really to be said for Real Madrid front because we fielded defensive players up until the last five minutes when Vinicius managed to come on.
0: Well, I mean I'm kind of surprised Vinicius even got in because when you look at Brazil's bench, I mean there were still a lot of players there that I mean the fact that Firmino didn't start this game, um, Gabriel didn't start this game. Fabinho didn't either, but I mean, that one is pretty justifiable given that Casemiro's in the team. It is funny that you mention Casemiro's role. Like, it's it's so interesting watching their roles um, outside of Real Madrid, where he just doesn't have that free reign to just storm in the box and go in for flying headers. I mean, part of the reason why we didn't see much of Casemiro in this game was because of that. I mean, Brazil had a lot of the ball, a lot of the ball in the final third, and Casemiro just kind of staying back. I will say of Militao, um, didn't have that much to do. I, I liked the Militao or Marquinhos partnership at the back there. I thought they read the ball pretty well. Anytime Venezuela tried to hit a ball over the top, they mopped it up. Uh, Militao even had a run in the second half where he wins the ball, he sprints, and almost has a breakaway, but Richarlison just can't get the ball to him. Otherwise, that that was a good goal-scoring chance. I thought, I mean, this is a good transition, um, Grant, both with Brazil and England. I feel like in the opening games here, we haven't seen their best starting lineup with Brazil. We have, we have a lot of good players on the bench. I'm not sure this is their best 11 and England obviously have the injury to Maguire, and they don't, they can't possibly feel their best 11 right now, but you had just names on the bench there, um, from Grealish and, and Rashford and so on. Do you think this is England's best 11? Um, the fact that, I mean, we've had Trippier at left back, no Chilwell. Um, there did seem to be room for, for a little bit more from Southgate, but I also thought they were the better team today against Croatia.
3: Yeah. I think there's no doubt that they were the better team. And I also don't think that we're going to see the best lineup or the best England in this group stage, because we're not really going to have to, they've got the Czech Republic, they've got Scotland and they've got this Croatia team that has all of these hopes riding on them of them being the underdog again. But if you look at the 28 or 2018 team that made that run to the world cup final in this team, you're missing some huge pieces. And I watched a couple of the matches going in to just get a feel for how Croatia was playing. And it seems like they need Modric in a deep lying role and an attacking role. And I mean, how great would it be to have two Modric's on Real Madrid or Croatia? I mean, it's just not going to happen. And they seem to really struggle going through the middle unless Kovacic or Modric do some crazy one twos, go through the middle. And then everything's just piped down the flanks to Versalco and the fullbacks and just swinging in crosses. And they don't have Manzukic to get on the end of that. So, yes, I think England was pretty impressive in the game. I don't think it's anywhere near their best. But looking at this group and seeing how this match played out, obviously England is the best team in the group. I'm worried about Croatia's chances in this, and where the goals are going to come from.
1: Yeah, I think it's interesting you point out the the two moders thing because watching them, I was thinking, I was thinking the same thing to myself. And I think there's they've struggled to transition to. I they just don't have the talent to transition to like a new era, into a new a new age. New generation of Croatia, and so they're still relying on the same guys. And like you said, they don't have Manzukich anymore. They don't have some of these players that were in their prime when the uh, when the World Cup was rolling around. So now they're still relying on them, but they're just not the same players. And maldrich his class, I, I, you, you could see it in the game. Like even with how well Mason Mount played and some of the the English players, especially in their midfield, uh, Calvin Phillips was another good one, but. Maldry's still st- stood out like he you could see his quality, you could see his skill. And I think um, even what he's almost 36 now, it, it's crazy how he still carries this team. He still carries Real Madrid and he carried us for, for all last season. So um, but I'm with you, Grant. I don't know how they I, I, I don't see them progressing far in this tournament.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm worried just looking at it, depending on how Scotland and Czech Republic perform if they even make it out of the group because they'll have the ball in those two games I would imagine and you know Modric was dropping deep at times but other times he was in a higher position and they do find in that area of the pitch wherever he is but it's once they progress out of that or whether he's in the attacking third and they try to progress to it he needs to be in whatever part of the pitch they're moving in and I mean, he's just going to run out of steam probably, and he's just doing it all himself. I would say, and I will upset the.
2: I I wonder how many Scotland fans, how many Scotland people follow managing Madrid, but I will say, never doubt Scotland's ability to do you a favor. <laughs> <laughs> God knows they did Ireland more than a couple on a couple of occasions. Scotland seemed to be. Scotland can just pull defeat out of jaws of victory sometimes. So we shall see. <laughs> But, um, I still
0: think they have enough to get out of this group. I like. I think yeah. the context of this game too was that England are really good, and I think you can nitpick some things that England could have done better. I think um, whether it be in the build-up phase or just making these weird. Kyle Walker was just being weird today. I, yeah, I don't. God, he was awful. It was one of. <laughs> it was a terrible uh, performance from him. He had that one. Uh, one weird, really, really super weird play in the first half where he just carries the ball. No one's pressuring him. He just kind of waltzes through the middle. He comes over to the left side and then just basically boots it out of bounds. Um, I think it was he was expecting Trippier to just kind of go and meet the ball, but it was impossible. And everyone just kind of looked at him. But England, you can, you can nitpick some things from them from a tactical perspective. I think England, no matter how you spin it, they're just good. Like they have an incredible amount of talent, attacking output. Um, I think they, they basically suffocated uh, Croatia with their high press over and over again. They stifled their buildup. Kovacic's ball-carrying ability was taken out of this game completely. And I just think there's too much pressure on Modric's shoulders for this team. Like, there's too much on his plate. I don't And I don't yeah. see at his age uh, a path for him to carry this Croatia team at all. I still think, and and going back to like Rebic and, and Paris, which I think these guys will have more success against teams that are inferior to England they're good players I mean Rebic we saw I mean we saw it with Milan this year too what he can do Matt but I I think there's just too much on Moric's plate he has to be the deepest lying um, midfielder at times and Brozovic was awful he was he had a huge hand in um, in the goal conceded and on the same play like 10 seconds later if Croatia win the ball he has to compose the whole team he has to and he's, a, he's able to do that even at his age. You saw a lot of sequences where England would press the out of them. Moritz would just take a touch. He would slow things down. The team would compose itself. They'd recycle possession a little bit um, before losing it ultimately or, or, or only getting so far. But, and then if he wasn't doing that, he was like the highest midfielder or sometimes the highest player on the pitch for Croatia – Trying to act as an L in the build-up phase. And I just thought it was just too difficult for him to do this single-handedly, especially at his age. But I like Mortis's performance in this game, given the circumstances, he had zero time on the ball. England gave him zero time on the ball on the ball. Mount tried to man mark him pretty much um, any 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 time that Croatia had the ball, uh, just to make sure he was taken out of the game. But um, this was this was just England, I think, being difficult to deal with, and Moldova not having enough help. I feel like they'll still get it out of the group because I think they'll be able to get a, get a hold of the game a little bit better in the next two games. So where um, where do we want to go from here? I mean, Matt, why don't you talk to, talk to us about Belgium, um, the team that you were left left covering in this game in this uh, tournament, and Courtois? I don't know unless you have a a uh, tactical monologue on Courtois prepared. I guess we can <laughs> well, talk actually... about Belgium as a whole. <laughs> we can talk about your <laughs> Lukaku golden shoe prediction going going well so far, and then also Hazard getting in off the bench.
2: This yeah. is the... yeah, this is where the Zoom call is going to come in handy because we're going to see Matt pull out a tome on you know Thibaut, Thibaut Courtois positioning. Throughout the <laughs> yeah, <minutes.
1: laughs>
2: yeah. So he did. So
1: Courtois had one save in the entire game. Um, and that's literally on the stat sheet as well. One save. Um, it was from a Mario Fernandez header. And I don't know if you guys remember this, but Mario Fernandez, he's originally Brazilian. He's been playing for Russia, it feels like forever. Um, and he was always linked with Real Madrid. Um, and he's a solid player. Like, I like him. He's the right, right back. Um, he's still, I was surprised that he's now older, obviously. He's still, I thought he was probably one of their best players in this game. Um, So just fun little fact there, and he got up for the header, but it was right at Courtois, literally right at him. So uh, easy save. Aside from that, Courtois was just, I mean, he was his usual self. He was able to come off the line, command his area, uh, really confident, just picking out crosses, picking out any balls out of the air. So the fun came once Hazard entered in the 71st minute. We were were wondering how much time he would actually get because he only got 10 minutes versus Croatia in in the friendly and he got about 20 minutes or so he played on the left wing and Belgium plays a 3-4-3 formation and so Hazard still got to play kind of on his customary left wing position but had more support in build up on that in build up on that left side and i was a little worried cuz in the first his first few touches were sloppy and he had one like his first touch was a good pass to switch the field of play but then the next two or three after that he had heavy touches he lost the ball um, he was caught in possession, got tackled. And so I was like, "Uh Oh, is this going to be another one of those has our where you just so discouraged coming away from it, but he turned it around. I think in the final like 10 minutes or so um, he had a really nice turn on the left flank to break free of some pressure. He then did another uh, turn just a few minutes later, like a lovely inventive turn to create space for himself down the flank. And so those things were kind of the re- redeeming qualities. Those were the, the hazard moments where you're like, finally, yes, this is hazard. This is hazard. So they were fleeting, obviously. It was only a few minutes and it was only a few moments, but um, it was encouraging. And Roberto Martinez said as much after the game, he said this was a gigantic step forward for Hazard. Uh, he's now, he's feeling more confident. He's now, he'll be able to play more minutes. So I expect to, I don't, I still don't expect him to start next game, but I think he'll get even more minutes.
0: I don't know if you saw after the game, but uh, I, he's been in the media quite a bit talking about his whole Real Madrid tenure of late. And um, he's been saying all the right things. I, I think he's fully aware, not that he shouldn't be. I mean, this is what we expect of him anyway, but just, it's worth pointing out. He's fully aware that his he's, he's, he's not pointing anyone, any fingers at anybody but himself, but his time at Real Madrid that, you know, he's fully cognizant of the fact that he needs to do better. He needs to improve. And um, he was asked after the game, if um, he, basically like, are they using you at Real Madrid the wrong way? Because they don't seem to be giving you the ball the way they give you the ball at at uh, at Belgium. Did the, are Belgium basically using you a bit better than giving the ball more? And he said, it makes sense that Real Madrid don't give me the ball more because I haven't proved anything yet there. So yeah. the Euros are basically my way of proving myself to Real Madrid over again. Um, I do wonder how much of a role he'll have in this tournament. Um, I, I I don't, I don't, do you see him starting at all, Matt? Like throughout this entire thing, bar injury, it's hard to see, right? Maybe, maybe in the knockout rounds, if like he gets,
1: let's say he gets 30 minutes the next game and then maybe another 30, 35 minutes after that um, maybe Roberto Martinez feels if, if, if the opponent's big enough that he has to start hazard and he feels confident enough, having given him some minutes and he plays well, obviously he has to play well in those minutes. So I think if that happens, then potentially he could start, but I def, I don't see it happening in the group stage, at least, especially if let's say they win their next game where I don't think he'll start. They're pretty much they're qualified from there. So, um, it wouldn't it wouldn't really make sense to start unless you want to give him 60 minutes or something in in the third game to see if he can handle it. But aside from that, that's 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 I don't know, I don't see it. The one the other thing though, from that interview you were talking about, um, I found really interesting was when he talked about playing without fans and how he came to Real Madrid to play, he needs to play in a in a filled up stadium he wants to play in the mm. Santiago Bernabeu and i found that really interesting because we know of hazard that he doesn't he doesn't train well i mean from from what we've gathered from other interviews of other players and different um just different insights that we've been given about hazard is that he doesn't train well he doesn't like training he turns it on for games and maybe because without fans it, he just it, it feels too similar to training for him. And so it's been hard for him to adapt maybe more still so than other players. He's a guy that needs, needs fans in, in the stadium. And so um, I found that little quote, he said, pretty interesting.
0: That is interesting. I mean, it's interesting also just taking note of what players, different players respond to. And I totally see if you're a star, what you dream of is basically these big nights in front of big fans and, and, you know, performing under pressure But still, that's not an excuse. I mean, we still need you to remain professional and come to to the biggest club in the world in shape. Um, Grant and Chris, any other Belgium thoughts before we move on?
3: I mean, Um, just general Belgium thoughts. I mean, Romelu Lukaku, I feel like everyone is acting like he's a great player now. He just became one. And it's like he's been performing like this for a long time, especially with Inter. His off-ball movement, the runs that he was making, uh, it seemed like... His, his coming out party to the world, even though everyone who watches Syria would have already known this because he looks good. And I think that, Matt, that's a good shout for Golden Boot, um, especially with him rock, racking up two goals in the first match. Prediction looks good, Matt. Good on you. Who did I pick again? Benzema. Benzema. Oh, yeah.
1: the big cat's coming. We'll see. We'll Watch see. your back.
2: All right. <laughs> Chris, any other thoughts on Belgium? Um... I missed the game, but I I generally am quite frustrated by Belgium because they always have their case of all um having lots of good players and then showing up for these tournaments and inevitably disappointing. So I'm kind of hopeful that something kicks off that uh inspire a bit of a bit more kind of it, when you offer Belgium for the World Cup that people will be clamoring to get that place. But uh, yeah, um, I missed the game, so I can't say too much. Uh, I did well, feel. I'll,
0: I did Go feel ahead, like um, they did get their monkey off their back in World Cup 2018. Just getting as far as they did, coming up short against France in the semifinals. Yeah, uh, I feel like they've gotten the, that monkey off their back a little bit. My biggest concern for them is like once you start hitting these big games, you really need a healthy De Bruyne. I think, um, and if they don't get him back, uh, it's it's
2: going to be tough. It's going to be tough. I, I think these teams generally. I think these tournaments generally favor a team that's. I mean, you don't even need to have a huge amount of quality. You just need to be solid throughout eleven or twelve games. And uh, yeah, I mean, I suppose with in that sense, uh, Roberto Martinez is a kind of here or there um, question mark on whether he can create a team. I certainly think he can create an attacking team, and with the sort of quality that Belgium have, they could. That might be enough, but uh, I mean, the likes of England, Italy, teams like that, I mean, they don't look particularly impressive but they're the sort of just chugging along that I expect That's those are the sort of sides I expect to win international tournaments these days. It's interesting, I mean, uh, this is a completely off topic, but Germany won the under 21 euros and they've won three of the last two I think it is now at this point and I mean, that in terms of that success hasn't really translated onto the international stage well, especially for these days, A uh, under 21 level you'd expect to have a quick transition. But I mean, relatively speaking, I think Timo Werner is the lone, the lone big player to come out of those under 21 sides. So, like I said, it's international football these days is very weird weird game altogether and success is very relative those under 21
0: uh things never translate like the way they do like when they're in the moment like you think this is a generation that's coming it never translates sorry matt
1: yeah no no
0: i'm with you even
1: uh, i always make the um link to the spain team from 2013 that had tiago isco yaramende uh martinez and all those guys isco and Like it hasn't been until now that some of them are breaking through and that was 2013. It was like seven, eight years ago. So it's, it's pretty crazy to think about. Um, uh, but I was going to say about Belgium is I, I think for me, what worries me about Belgium is their defense. Like I still, I'm not convinced those three center backs for Tonga is getting up there in age. Uh, so is Alderweidel. Um, who did they have in the middle too? Um, it was was it Boyata?
0: Well, this is um, this is why not having De Bruyne sucks. Now they have they exactly had, so had Tillmans and uh, Dindonker. and then yeah, yeah, Castagne on the right. Who was who was the one who got injured, right? And then Munye came yeah. in, and then Thorgan on the left.
1: So they rely so like if they're gonna go far in this tournament, and if anybody thinks they're gonna win it, then. They have to have De Bruyne fit. fit. You'd argue they have to have Eden Hazard fit. And who has got to score a ton of goals. And Courtois is going to make a ton of saves because the rest of the team is kind of, eh, it's not, it's not overly impressive. So they're going to rely on individuals
0: to really get far. Yeah. Um, they don't have the nice balance team that some of the other nations do. And I think their crossroads will be against Italy. Italy's on their side of the bracket. So I think that's the one we're going to see. Um, speaking of... Uh, <laughs> Who did you say, Matt, earlier that was like, oh, he's still playing the the guy from Russia? There's no there's no Oh
1: Mario Fernandez.
0: Yeah, Mario <laughs> Fernandez. There's no better poster boy of that idea than Goran Pandev scoring. Like, <laughs> did you like I knew he was still a footballer because I remember having this reaction during Macedonia and the qualifiers? But then the fact that he's still scoring now, and I feel like he was scoring when I was a kid, like it blows my mind that he of course it was him who also scored today. and just I also I don't know if anyone else feels this way. I don't know if this is a thing. Every time I see him, I just think of that guy from GTA, Trevor. You guys know who I'm talking about? <laughs> I don't, but I just think that's hilarious. Yeah, they look identical. Um, Alaba had an assist against Macedonia. I don't have much else to report. Um I I'm going to put managing Madrid on my back for the next few Austria games. And I think I'll watch them and uh, and provide some more sound analysis than what I just said. Um, the one I was looking forward to Wales in this game, Wales versus Switzerland. I'm disappointed with Wales. Um, I don't know what I expected. Uh, I suppose I was expected to be disappointed on some level, but I also had higher hopes for them. I thought they could, I, I literally said this to Matt on the Euro preview show we did, and I use these words. I think they can shit house their way to a semifinal appearance because their side of the bracket is not that bad. Um, I think they basically avoid the group of death people until they get to the semifinals. If they come second in their group, um, I have to relook look at the bracket. But either way, I mapped it out that basically they can stumble their way um, into the quarterfinals against Germany or somebody like that and just shithoused way past Germany with really good defense and some counter-attack goals, but they've been disappointing. I will say this about Wales. Uh, and by the way, that was a bold prediction. That was not me. It was not a conviction prediction. It was a bold prediction. It's not <laughs> meant to be a smart prediction. It's just meant to be just a bold prediction. Um, so with that on the table, um, Wales are a team to me that if they don't go down a goal early, It's a nightmare to watch them because they can actually play football like they actually can do it if they're forced to chase the game. But other than that, they're just happy to go through the motions, play super defensive and their transition attack just isn't good enough right now. I mean, Daniel James on the the left was their biggest threat. Bale didn't get too involved. Um, Bale's role in this game was basically just defend narrow, cover off some passing lanes. I also hated the fact that he was taking the in swinging free kicks when he's our biggest aerial threat to meet those. I didn't understand that. We had this, we, we had this weird variation where Suarez takes corners with Uruguay too. And I never get it. Um, or at least he was when I was watching some qualifiers with them. So um, when they were forced to play, they actually had, they went down a goal and um, they were forced to play a little bit. They had good spells of possession and that's how, basically they scored was on the back of a good spell of possession that led to a corner kick and then a well-worked corner kick, which more capitalizes on. Um, but I just want to see more like um, just more initi- initiative from them. I, I don't think they can rely on just doing this counter-attack thing because I'm not sure the transition offense is good enough at this point, even with the names they have on the field. So I, I worry about them in that sense, Um I just think they've been a little bit unimaginative and even there were times in this game where Switzerland were not even pressing them high and Wales were just still hitting long balls and to nobody, which made no sense. Their buildup up stock. So disappointed with Wales. That's my report from them. Yeah, you're not making me want to watch Wales at all. (laughs) Well, I don't know what their (laughs) upcoming schedule is like. Maybe I can, maybe it gets more exciting. I'll look at it in a second. But um, we have coming up, let's see we have spain tomorrow spain's opening game by the way we mentioned like england and brazil not having their best 11 out there i don't think we're going to see luis enrique do that either with uh, with marcos juraneta right back i don't love that um, we get france germany tomorrow so cruz or oh, sorry tuesday so that's the big one cruz versus varan and benzema and then uh, and then we're going to do a podcast on tuesday so we'll cover, we'll cover France, Germany will probably the, be the headliner on the Tuesday podcast. And if you guys want to um, see some Spain analysis, Diego will probably hit that. Diego and I will hit that on the Trudor podcast. Gentlemen, any, um, anything you guys think we didn't hit on that is very important to hit on right now? I don't think so. No. Okay. Um, Chris, you got a, you got a long night ahead of you. <laughs>
2: Well, this is one of the early ones considering I was looking at the upcoming schedule and the next round of matches are at one o'clock and so I've uh, some longer nights ahead of me, but it doesn't bother me. I'm an insomniac by nature. So, yeah, you're, you're 24. 20 you, can,
0: you can get away with that. You're basically in your yeah. hazard years where you can get away with anything. Exactly. When, when you hit 30, you're screwed. Uh, yeah. Uh, and the Copa America side of things, uh, to I, let me just see, we have Brazil, Peru on Thursday, and then Argentina, Uruguay on Friday. So we still have a ways away. The Copa America schedule is not as crazy as the Euro schedule, but the fact that it's happening during the Euros makes it crazy. I'm just my head, I'm delirious. I don't know how you guys feel right now. Um, there's like that little bit of anxiety that creeps up, not like entirely because I just don't, I basically don't care at this point, but. If you look at Twitter right now, you don't know what anyone's tweeting about anymore. There's tennis; <laughs> every second tweet is about Djokovic or something. Or um, oh, tennis or, is done. That's out of your way done? now. All right, Between that, the NBA playoffs, between Copa America, the Euros. I don't know what anyone is tweeting <laughs> about anymore. I just like yeah. don't know. Everything is about different uh, something different. So, um, yeah. So we're just focusing on, on Euros and Copa America. Grant, any uh, updates on know that you want to throw us? Do you guys have a podcast this weekend?
3: Uh, not this weekend. It's the international break. So we've been putting out some match reports of uh, those games. We're going to hopefully midweek do a podcast to wrap up the international break. But other than that, we get back in action next weekend, I believe. Beautiful. All right. Stay tuned for that. So we'll be back
0: on Managing which at the very least on Tuesday. We'll be talking about France, Germany, and whatever else hits us uh, that day. That will be over on patreon.com slash managing Madrid. And we will end it here. Everyone enjoy your weekend. Chris, thank you. Matt, thank you. Grant, thank you. Have a great night and check you guys Tuesday. All right, before we wrap it up, we want to give a quick shout out to all of our patrons, but specifically to our $10 plus patrons who get a specific shout out on the podcast. And those are as follows. Bella Chow, Brandon Alvarez, Willie Reed, Way Pairing, Wamik Jamal, Umar Mahadi, Tyler Simon, Tyler Dixon, Tobias Arroyo Bacher, Tahmid Kalam, Sujai Sumanchu Singh, Shabazz Sharapov, Santos Sorosano, Sergio Arispe, uh, Said Mahad, San Omar, Rovi Tahiev, Raul Gutierrez, Raghav Potluri, Phoenix, Oscar Barrera, Only Michael, Nico Laxo, Nick Robero, Nick Lauer, Muxi Thangal, Mowgli, MJ Diego, Michael Zinberg, Marin Myrtle, Leon Sabernaques, Kunal telekar Kevin Rivera, Karen Shera, John Fernandez, Jeff Thurston, Jason Fitz, Graham Gerard, George Tarazi, Gary Cohut, Frederick rentakiro Frederick sundros Faisal Hamdon, SA Tabicito, Eric Rogers, Eric Rogers, sorry, Elo Enriquez, Edward Sossman, Daniel Williams, Christian Toft, Christian Acosta, Charles Williams, Brendan Powers, Brandon Stevens, Austin Fiori-Erdman, Anthony Lombardi, Anirudh Singh, Alexis Saniseros, Al, Adam Dorsey, Varun, Nick Stefane, and Fabian Moreno. Thank you guys so much for your support. You guys rock. You guys are awesome. And we'll see you on Tuesday. Hanamadir.